0: I'm David Benedetto, and today we'll be speaking with Caleb Johnson, Alabama native and writer who has just released his first novel, Treeborn. How's it going today, Caleb?
1: Great, David. Thanks for having me on.
0: No, of course. Um, To kind of get into this, this is your first novel. Um, How did the book come about? How did you decide on this topic?
1: Um, You know, it's a a roundabout story. Um, I started writing it when I moved to Laramie, Wyoming for graduate school um, about seven years ago now. And... um, I knew in my time out there, I wanted to write a novel. Um, I had an idea for one, which was going to be a pretty straight-forward historical uh, retelling of Hernando de Soto's conquest through the South. Mm. Um, and why I wanted to write this story is, or one reason why is because I had learned that some historians believe that de Soto um, and the Spanish brought the peach to the South um, at this time, and. That was a surprising thing for me to learn because growing up in Alabama, um, we have a famous, to us anyway, peach growing region called Chilton County. I had always assumed the peach was a, a native fruit. I mean, it seemed as Alabama to me as you know, college football or, or barbecue um, or any number of things. And so I was surprised to learn this. I thought it would be an interesting story. I started writing that novel, and then I quickly realized I do not enjoy doing the kind of research needed to <laughs> write a novel entirely set um, Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, so uh, I quickly changed. uh, I I quickly shifted my my perspective, and but I couldn't give up the DeSoto story uh, because it was fascinating to me. So eventually, what I did is I I let the fictional town and the fictional characters in this in this fictional version of Alberta, Alabama, be obsessed with and sort of mythologize Hernando de Soto and his introduction of the peach to the area.
0: No, I get that. And you still get to deal with that, like, intergenerational play and back and forth and that that exchange, you know, of information and ideas and history, which is interesting in the book. Uh, What's it like writing about a place that you've called home for so many years?
1: You know, there was certainly a little bit of pressure for me, um, maybe more just internalized pressure than than actually any outward pressure um, because I wanted to get it right. You know, um, it was really important to me to capture the voices, especially, uh, that I grew up around, and um, because I think they're beautiful voices, and I think they're poetic, and I think they have uh, unique ways of saying things, and I think they're often, at least these particular rural southern voices aren't often heard in American literature, so if I was going to have them in my book, and my book was going to be published, I wanted to get them right. there was some pressure that I put on myself to do that, but honestly it was pretty easy to do, even though I was writing from 1500 miles away in in Wyoming um, because I grew up among um, just some wonderful women who were excellent storytellers and really um, just placed a value on the ability to tell stories and to, and to listen to stories and kind of participate in that oral exchange of culture and, and history. and, humor um from an early age. So I could sit there and easily remember and tap into my grandmama's voice, her her sisters, my great aunts, my mama's voice and and through them, you know, the women in their lives before before I came along and who I didn't have the, the privilege to know, um, all those stories were passed down in those way of the uh, ways of talking, the the ways of seeing the world, especially the natural world. Um it was just an important part of my family's culture and, and one that I'm glad was given to me. And, and it, through this book, I wanted to kind of do my part to, to keep it alive.
0: No, I can see that. And it, you see that within this, built within the structure of the book as a sort of an oral history coming back to this time that's no longer with um, your character of Janie, uh, kind of looking back about this place that's soon to be kind of overcome with water. Uh, tell me about writing that character in particular and why it was important for you to kind of like, have this back and forth between time, have her looking back towards these things?
1: Mm. Janie was one of the first characters I came up with, actually, for this novel. uh, The setting um, of a fictional town called Alberta, Alabama, was one of the first things I got. So I I quickly saw the town. I saw the peach orchards. I saw the woods and the the rivers. Um, But I didn't really have characters for a little while that were sticking that that seemed compelling and, and who I wanted to follow and then I got Janie and then I got her grandmother Maybell Treeborn and um those two characters were just as I wrote pages interesting to me in a in alive in a way <coughs> excuse me um that other characters before I had been writing in this world were not
0: yeah
1: and um I think it goes back to the women who, who raised me and sort of their influence on that character. But it also why Janie is concerned with looking back and um this juxtaposition of the present day and, and different timelines in the past is because for me the book is a lot about memory and how memory works and I wanted the structure of the book to mirror that in some way. So, you know, Um, At least for me and and in my family, memory is incomplete. Um, It's reshaped, and it's reshaped over time. It's reshaped uh, by different people, and it comes in fits and starts. It's sometimes not entirely satisfying, Um, and all those things are things that make memory and storytelling interesting to me, so I wanted the book to reflect that in its structure and, and the way the stories are told.
0: No, I can see that. And that comes through really, really well. Um, I love that idea about like focusing on memory and its imperfectness, both in um, the person recalling the memory as well as their actions and their perception of them. Um, tell me, tell me about these peaches a little bit. What what makes the the peaches that you're referencing so special in Alabama?
1: Well, of course, nostalgia for, <laughs> for me a little bit, you know, um, I grew up, uh, in North Alabama, and we would g- often go on summer vacation to the Gulf of Mexico, and when you do that, you go straight through Chilton County. They have huge and smaller fruit stands along the side of the road, and so you all we always stopped. My family did, and lots of other families too, and bought a basket of peaches um, to take with us to the beach. And so those are memories that are really um, important to me. And you know, f- food um, kind of gets better. I feel like a lot of times with with nostalgia and and distance from it at least in in your mind it does Mm -hmm. um but you know i'm no peach grower um i did a little research for the novel and visited an orchard uh in chilton county alabama and one thing with the peaches i think why they get their particular flavor is they're allowed to to hang and ripen on the tree for a pretty pretty long time they're not quite picked as early Mm -hmm. um and so that gives them sort of a ripeness and a, and a juiciness and kind of a texture to the fruit's flesh that is different from um, some peaches, and, and to me, uh, more delicious.
0: All right, I'll take that then. I'll be looking for those at some point then.
1: <laughs> and I've been in—I was in Georgia yesterday, and it came up in, in conversation at the event um, about Alabama peaches versus Georgia peaches, and I. I had to stand my ground and, and defend my Chilton County peaches, although I was a little afraid um, maybe some rotten fruit or something was going to come my way from the crowd. But I, I had to defend them because they're they're the best to me.
0: Oh, obviously, you got to stand your ground, uh, no matter what the uh, the, uh, the Georgians say about that. I think that's great. Of course. <laughs> well, awesome, Caleb. Um, I, I know you um, grew up in Alabama, obviously, but you attended an MFA. Uh, got your MFA in Wyoming. Uh, had you ever been outside of the state before you you went to Wyoming?
1: Well, to travel, but I had never even traveled that far west. Uh, yeah. But no, I'd never lived outside the state. i lived my whole life in Alabama up to that point. And um, it was something I always wanted to do in like a way a young person or or a child dreams, but it never seemed never seemed like there were ways in, in reality in which I may be able to do that, yeah. do that being moved out of the state. Um, so I applied to the program in large part because a writer who I really admire and, and I'm now fortunate to call my friend, Brad Watson, is he's from Mississippi originally and he mm-hmm. teaches there. And, and I just admired his work so much. I thought I could learn a lot from going to study with him and thankfully they let me in and I did. And, and it was also at that point when I was accepted, it was an opportunity to, you know, kind of now or never, if if I wasn't going to go and try living outside Alabama and outside the South then in this beautiful location, um, you know, they're paying me to teach. I get to go and, and write a book and read and be around other writers for a couple of years. I really thought there was going to be no better scenario upon which I could leave. Yeah. Um, so I I pushed myself to do it. And, and David, I'm, Really, I love the South, and I'm not one of these Southerners who left because, you know, he disliked it here, even though there there are things to like and dislike, of course, and, and good and bad everywhere. But um, moving to Wyoming is one of the best decisions I ever made, not just professionally but, but personally too. And um, it's just such a beautiful place and in a place that you're kind of your eyes and your mind almost can't comprehend everything you're seeing. So I, I love it there. It's it's really dear to me.
0: Yeah, and it kind of I bet, gave you a new way of looking back at home uh, with kind of more open eyes.
1: For sure, yeah. I don't think the novel would be um, exactly what it is if I had written it in Alabama or in the South, you know, since it is so much about memory and, and I wrote it from afar. I did have to see it in my mind and, and hear the voices in my mind, and it different way than, than I would have, if I was home. And, and I'm very close to my family and friends at home. I, I make phone calls, you know, all the time and I go home as much as I can. And, and when I would go home while I was writing this novel, I would be intentional, you know, maybe I wasn't formally interviewing people, but I would ask them things or I, I would make sure I was noticing, um, sights and smells and sounds. And, and I may, would maybe go to places to sort of like do a little, Informal narrative research, um, yeah. since I knew I, I, I wasn't always there to be able to... I couldn't access it firsthand, you know, due to geography.
0: Yeah, of course. No, I think that's interesting. Um, the The first kind of version of this novel about DeSoto, um, tell me why you were so interested in, in making a narrative crafted around him. Like, what really got you interested in that story?
1: You know, I think it was two things. Number one, if you drive around the South... Um, you'll notice a lot of places named after De Soto are a lot of places with Spanish names. And I'm not just talking to New Orleans, which obviously has a, a much more pronounced Spanish influence, yeah. um, but places in the rural South, in North Mississippi, in Alabama, um, obviously in Florida. And you'll see these places, you know, towns, streets, counties. Um, but I didn't anyway ever think much about it, even though I, I knew Hernando De Soto was a, a Spanish conquistador. Um, from you know history in school but in my history classes anyway we never spent much time talking about his impact on the south or his time here you know Mm -hmm. um probably in part because he it was very violent and and horrible for the the native people living here at the time and partially too i think because um it was not successful from from the spaniards point of view you know they didn't um they didn't necessarily find valuable things, whether it was land or or resources or or whatnot. And and DeSoto actually died on this, on this conquest, which was interesting to me as well. Um, So there was that. And then there too was just, you know, from a writer's standpoint, if I was, if my intention was to write a novel, I had here a, a kind of a backbone, you know, that I could, that I could start with, which seemed a little less intimidating. You know, I knew that DeSoto, landed somewhere on the west coast of Florida and I knew roughly, although it's pretty disputed, the actual path he took um, his journey through the South and I knew it ended near the Mississippi river. So when I was trying to conceive of a novel in my head, you know, in the early days of composition, that seemed appealing to me from a writer's writer's point of view to have that backbone of a beginning, middle and end that I, that I knew.
0: Yeah, no, I get that. I think that's interesting. Okay. Um, I know you've been been on this tour, kind of going through different places and having conversations with different people along it. Uh and, and in Georgia, I know the uh there was a presence from the the Bitter Southerner while you were there as well,
1: right? Yep, Chuck, um Reese from the Bitter Southerner uh, kind of moderated the the event, asked asked some questions and um was sort of the MC, I guess you could say.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's cool. Um they're one of the the publications I admire coming out of the South trying to uh, push kind of the art and the writing uh, coming here into the 21st century, and I'm really interested in your opinion. Who are sur- some Southern writers that you feel are kind of on the edge of Southern literature right now, or kind of um, pushing things forward? Or any people that you admire that you really uh, would recommend others kind of looking into?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about being on the edge, but two that come to mind immediately. Um, one is a. Layman, who Lehman, um, who is a Mississippi writer, and Writes fiction and nonfiction, but um, you know, I think he writes about um, the lives of Black Southerners in a in a way that's um, just really stunning from a from a, uh, a writer's point of view. You know, like from a craft and, and, and literary perspective, it's it's beautiful, and also in a way that I think is really important um, from a cultural point of view because we're hearing and seeing stories. Um, about black lives in the South that maybe haven't been told as often through his writing. Um, and I think another writer who does um, a beautiful job, Just her sentences just have my jaw on the ground, and, and she also writes about a lives in a, in a part of the South that maybe doesn't get as a lot of uh, play or attention outside the South as Jesmyn Ward in, in her latest novel, um, those are two, two writers who I just admire so much, um, for sure, and um, now I'm going to ramble and try to think who else in the South <laughs> that, uh, that I need to name. This is like, I've had this question every time, David, and I just, every, it's like the one question where whenever someone has asked you, like, who are writers that inspire you or who are you reading or who do you, it's just like, no matter how much you prepare, your brain just blanks, it secrets that away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so those would be two I would that I can say, and hopefully, hopefully, part of that soundbite is usable for you.
0: That's that's fine. We you've reached the quota. We're okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: well, good. <laughs> good. I'm glad, Caleb. <laughs> Um
0: Well, tell me a kind of fun question. Um, what's a, a piece of art? Doesn't have to be a book that you've kind of experienced in the past year that you keep coming back to.
1: I'm gonna say. Um, <sighs> I'm not going to say in the past year necessarily, but I'm going to say related to the book. Um, you know, Hugh Treborn, one of the, the main characters, the patriarch of the family is, um, for lack of a better word, an, an outsider artist or a self-taught artist. Um, so I've always been a fan of of Southern, you know, vernacular artists of, of that nature. And um, as I was writing the book, I spent a lot of time looking at the works of Thornton Dial. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he is a... Uh, black man from Bessemer, Alabama, who much like Hugh Treborn, would um, take, you know, found objects of, of different types and make these sometimes monumental, often of different sizes, but these really textural, uh, stunning, very much uh, suggesting movement and, and a liveliness um, works of art. And so I've been a fan of his, his art for a long time. And once I had this character who was also an outsider artist or a self-taught artist um, I knew that that mr. dials work would be um, important to him and into that character so that was certainly an inspiration for the character of Hugh Treborn and, and, and if you haven't seen Thornton Dial's work it's just it's worth looking at because it's just so it really is stunning and it's amazing that he he takes all these different um, all these different objects and, and puts them together in a way that really suggests oftentimes to me just a movement and a, and a liveliness that that takes me aback.
0: Yeah. No, I'll have to look him up. I, I'd never heard of him before. That, that sounds awesome. Um, cool. Well, I'm glad to have that on here. Um, tell me if you could have like an ideal writing space, like a place you could go and write. What, what would that look like and, and how do you feel you work best?
1: Well, I know I work best in the morning as early as possible. Um, I'm not a, a night owl. I love the morning time when I can be alone and, and I kind of feel like I'm kind of stealing from the day ahead by, by getting up early to work, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, so that's important to me. Um, as far as the location, you know, I, I wrote this novel in so many places, David. I, I wrote large chunks of it in a janitor closet on top of a water heater, um, in a, you know, in a notebook in the back room at the butcher shop where I worked, um, on various computers at various other office jobs, um, in an attic space in Pittsburgh in in the basement where we live now in Philadelphia. Um, I I wrote it all over. And so the space isn't so important to me as much as the time of day, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, now I would love, this is like my dream as I, as I get older and, and as my family does too. Um, the, the inspiration for a lot of the, the land and the woods you see in Treeborn is, is this acreage that my maternal grandmama has in Arley, Alabama, where I'm from. And, um, behind her house is a pasture and a, a fallen down barn and a overgrown now fish pond. And what I would love to do is one day have just a very basic, um, shack there that in summers or, you know, during holiday breaks, just whenever I can, I could go there and um, be by myself and, and write and sort of be on the land that, that was so important to me and becoming a storyteller and, and the person I am. I would love to be able to go back and do that one day.
0: Yeah, that sounds lovely. I'm hoping that happens for you. That That would be great. <laughs> um yeah I hope, I hope so yeah no no cool caleb um well tell me you had a variety of jobs before this novel came out and you were talking about kind of like finding these moments in time to kind of uh write during that um how did you kind of get yourself in a headspace to where you could like just focus with the minutes that you had to kind of put something down on paper
1: you know i think i mean for better and worse i i'm fairly hard on myself and my work and um do put the pressure to not waste time. And and I think part of that comes, you know, I come from a a fairly working class rural background where um, it's a privilege to to be able to write period, but to have a book published is just privilege beyond what um, a lot of rural working class Southerners have. And I'm, I'm very aware of that. And I'm very aware of not squandering that privilege and, and gift that I've been given. So it's sort of, with that mindset, it's sort of easy for me to to value um, any minute I have and any time I have to to write um, and to not be precious about it because I do see it more as just any kind of, you know, it's certainly, I've worked blue-collar and manual labor jobs, and I don't want to, you know, compare it to digging ditches or my dad's. You know, he worked in, the, in a underground coal mine for 30-something years. It's certainly not that in yeah. terms of, how difficult it is, but I think looking at it in a more utilitarian way um, or just a more practical way is helpful for me anyway to uh, not be as precious about what I need to write or or what I did or, or when I did it or how I did it, but just to know that if I clock in every day and I do the work in in some small way or some days in some larger ways that eventually that work will, will add up and I'll, I will have finished what I what I started to finish.
0: Yeah, no, I get that. And I think that's a really important perspective if we're looking at that, because sometimes it just becomes this kind of ephemeral or, like, hard-to-grasp type thing for writers. Um, that, that's a good way of kind of framing it. Um, well, Caleb, um, our, our time is, is sadly at an end. I did want to ask you one more question, and um, that is, um, what are you working on right now post this novel?
1: Um, well, I have another novel that I'm, I'm a a little bit into um, I don't want to reveal much about it beyond, but I will say um, it's entirely set in present day Alabama this time. Um, and that's really all I'm, I guess I'm a little superstitious. <laughs> um, so I don't want to say much more yet, Yeah. but um, yeah, I'm working on that. I'm working on kind of always working on some shorter nonfiction pieces. Um, just, picking at them when I can, um, to give myself a break, or if I get a little bogged down in in the novel, um, I'll do that. So, um, working on those two. And of course, you know, I want to write novels for the rest of my life. And I have, you know, ideas like, like most novelists do and notes and character sketches that, um, to sustain me for a while. Um, and, and that's, that's my passion and that's what I, you know, Give me something to look ahead to, and, and to keep me busy in the present moment is is where I get a lot of a lot of joy about my day.
0: Oh, I get that. Well, it's a good thing to have. Then, well, we'll not not bar in on those superstitions. Then, good good luck on that novel. And um, Caleb, thanks so much for speaking with us.
1: Oh, uh, thank you so much for having me, David. I really enjoyed it.
0: No problem. That was author Caleb Johnson, whose first book, Treeborn, has just been released. And that's our show. You've been listening to The Writer's Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. as well as on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This program, as well as all of WRBH's other interview programs, can be found on our SoundCloud page after it airs, which is located at soundcloud.com slash WRBH reading radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.